Hooray, hurrah, once again, the smartest man in the world, Proofcast, takes to the ether with the salubrious sounds of Dennis Edwards. Childhood part of my life wasn't very pretty. See, I was born and raised in the slums of the city. It was a one-room shack that slept in a gym beside me. We hardly had enough food or room to sleep. It was hard times. Needed something to eat my tongue back. Yeah, I promised a tribute last week and I didn't deliver because I got caught up in my own world. But uh, Dennis Edwards uh, was the lead singer for The Temptations after David Reffin. Um, and uh, this is what we call psychedelic soul. Uh, Norman Whitfield was assigned the group uh, after Smokey had had them for a long time. And he uh, toughened up the sound. And uh, this is the period that uh, gave us this song. Can't get next to you. Just my imagination. Psychedelic shack. Uh, it's pretty groovy, baby. Um, wow! <laughs> and you can frug to it. And I mean frug. And that ain't no lie. Uh, all of a sudden, the Temptations lyrics changed, right? Um, it used to be the, the way you do the things you do. And uh, 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 what's the one? Uh, well, I know to you it might sound strange. That was Ryan's favorite. But I wish it would rain. Uh, it's a purpose of fruititude, you might have guessed. Uh, Ryan is here and Jennifer's here. And finally, we're going to celebrate um, the awesomeness of Dennis Edwards. Then, all of a sudden, when Norman Whitfield took over and Dennis joined the group, everything changed. The direction changed. Now there's songs about living in the ghetto and what it's like to be in the black experience in America. And all of a sudden, drugs are involved in the temptations of all groups who were singing about sunshine on a cloudy day. And now they're talking about living on cloud nine. Because they can't get a job. Uh, it, it is groovy. Um, this is how he joined the group. Eddie Kendricks and Otis Williams. Otis is one of the original members, and he passed. Um, but three of them have. Eddie, uh, Eddie has as well. Um, decided they'd had enough of, I love this, this is uh, from the Guardian newspaper, Ruffin's erratic timekeeping, cocaine use, and galloping megalomania. And then their example of his galloping megalomania was he wanted to rename the group David Ruffin and the Temptations. And so they weren't having any of it. They asked Dennis Edwards to join the group. And this is what Dennis Edwards said. I'd been hearing rumors about David and drugs and alcohol. One morning at 4 a.m. he knocked on my door and said, and I said, David, it's 4 o'clock. And he said, I'm leaving the Temptations and they're going to ask you to replace me. Uh, so he got the gig. I saw them in 1982 at a reunion show. And Eddie and David and Dennis were all there to sing lead. Yes, they did. And um, they had the, the groovy mic stand that comes out that has the four mics. I've told it before, but every time a temptation passes, I'm going to tell it again. Uh, David Ruffin was one of the greatest soul singers of all time. And there's no question uh, that he should have wanted the group to be called David Ruffin and the Temptations. He's the one who goes, I know you're going to leave me. He's astounding. So when I saw him, he was so high on coke that he forgot the words to my girl. Not a good show. Not a good show. I got sunshine. And that was it, baby. And then it, he kind of got back on the chorus. Um, they did a tribute to Van McCoy because Van McCoy had just passed who for you novices and know nothings wrote the hustle god damn it and um, this is another sensational one they sang everything in the whole songbook and um, they all stood in their seats and went and gestured off stage waving their fingers and on rolled a microphone stand with four mics on it electric right and they all got around it and sang this one you may know 
This is another of the awesome psychedelic soul songs, Dennis. Not Daddy. Huh. Yeah. No matter what I do. Um, I suggest you spend several hours going on YouTube and looking up every single Temptations video from this period because they're on Ed Sullivan a lot. So there's a lot of scarves and really tight um, psychedelic colored clothes for the temps. There's even a headband period and shit. And all of a sudden, they're, they're no longer standing next to each other on stage. They've got them separated like in a, in a reductive flat that's made of, you know, cardboard and shit. And like it, it got groovy. Um, they did. I remember seeing them do Ball of Confusion on the Ed Sullivan show when I was a kid. I can't remember if they're wearing green or not, but it's pretty awesome. Um, he also, of course, went on to have a groovy, groovy solo career and then brought back the Temptations. And then they all sued each other like all bands do and it all went to shit. But the point is this. Um, here's one of his groovy songs from the 80s that he wrote. And it's a duet with uh, Seda Garrett. And this isn't this always how it works. Jennifer and I were driving around in the car listening to uh, the, the groove on Sirius FM, which is my go-to, right? That's all... Uh, funk music and dance music. Duh, really? We're so surprised to hear you. Whoa! How? How? It's also from the period when all of a sudden everything had to be smooth jazz and have pseudo-African music in it, which is fantastic. There, we're, are those steel drums? What's happening in there? Uh, and this song came on, and we were like, this song is so good. And then, sadly, he swirled into the heavens about a week later because she was like, who's he singing with? And I'm like, this was it. Um, if you're not, if you're wearing clothes while you're listening to me right now, I want you to remove them piece by piece, very slowly. Take your time on this. First, undo your top button slowly, slowly. Um, take a sip of wine. I want you to pour some honey over your nipples right now. And if you're a child, I'm sorry you're having to hear this. Oh yeah. And by the way, it's pretty macho. I believe he says if you need a man to take over. Yeah, don't look any further. I'm waiting for the awesome Lionel Richie John Below Jinko Junko Junko part of the middle of the song because every song was required to have one of these days. He's just such a great singer. He had a voice of rare power and to me, my favorite soul voice. Um, if we were on a small craft right now, I would so so have you in the ki- in the in the galley, <laughs> mixing up maraschino cherry. Um, he has my favorite voice. I always wanted to have Dennis Edwards' voice. Or I'll say it. Um, if I was a soul singer, he has such a groovy voice. And uh, not only that, he was a groovy person too. And uh, the song is it called "A Song for You," the Leon Russell one, or this song? A song for you. There's a, the attempts always did it in concert, and Dennis always sang it. And there's a lot of versions of that um, on YouTube. Which after Dennis started swirling, I was perusing, and we found one with um, uh, Aretha Franklin and uh, one of the Isley brothers and Ron Isley. It's Ron Isley, Aretha Franklin, and Dennis Edwards, and they're all gonna sing it together, right? 
And that's the one that's like, and when my life is over, I think of you and me. Um, and Aretha starts playing it on the piano. And then like, this is going to, we're going to extemporize this. And anybody just jumps in wherever. And they all try to jump in and she does not let them. And it's awesome. So Aretha basically beats up Ron Isley and Dennis Edwards for five minutes. And when my life is over. It's like, wow. All right. All right. Is anyone coming off the mic here? And it's like, no, she's not, by the way. And that's why she should sing the national anthem. Because then there wouldn't be any of this Tom Brady controversy. He would just be eradicated by the power of her vocals. And we would never have to say the words timber or lake again. Um, which I've excised from my um, vocabulary. Uh, Dennis Edwards uh, is swirling in the heavens and making everyone uh, feel groovy. Let's see here. Uh, yeah. Uh, this song was sampled a thousand times. Um, it's in Eric B. and Rakim's Paid in Full. It's in Tupac's Hit Him Up and, uh, and Get Money by Junior Mafia and a notorious B.I.G. Um, uh, sub- a couple singles, he uh, sampled this one as well. He was just the living end. Why are we starting with Dennis Edwards? Because he gives joy to people, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, we're, we're having a little trouble finding the joy right now in some quarters. If you're spending too much time watching the news of what um, older white people are doing, um, you need to take a break. A groovy break. Um, speaking of humanitarians, let's talk about uh, a musician who was absolute South African royalty, having married Miriam Makiba and being the probably the most famous jazz cat from uh, South Africa all through the 60s and 70s. Um, Hugh Masekela is also swirling in the heavens. It's also Black History Month, and that's why we're starting with this, because I'm real tired of hearing about the accomplishments of Justin Timberlake. Um, and Hugh Masekela uh, fought apartheid his whole life, had to leave South Africa, then came back and did a song about Nelson Mandela. This is an early one, and it's called Languda. And you can dig the, um, uh, the groovy funk uh, jazz sound that uh, Hugh Masekela is putting down. That it's purely swinging. Um, he, yeah, he hung with Fela Kuti. He hung with all the African uh, musicians because when he went back to Africa, he toured all over the continent and uh, got in touch with everybody. So here's our You Masekela story. Uh, Jennifer and I were at the Hay Festival a couple of years ago. And uh, I, I think it was the year I didn't have a book. Everyone there sells books and I didn't have a book that year. So I said, I'm the only one here without a book. And then the next year my book came out, which is available at popular prices. It's called The Smartest Book in the World. And... Uh, I asked, can I come back to the festival? And they went, no. And so I came back the year after when my paperback book came out. So I have no idea the vagaries of a book festival. Why was Hugh Masekela there, you ask? Because he's groovy. Um, it had nothing to do. He didn't write a book or nothing. Well, I'm sure he did write a book. Um, he wasn't selling a book. They simply had musicians and comics there, too. So we walked into the festival, and Ray Davis from the Kinks was there. And in a very grand moment uh, for Jennifer and I, um, he went, hi, Greg. Hi, Jennifer. And we went, hello, Ray. And... Uh, he was there. He was giving a talk that we went to see. Uh, we'd met him before years ago at the Edinburgh Festival. And Jennifer was sitting in the dressing room and he was in the um, staircase playing Victoria, that great kink song, and stuck his head up to the dressing room door and peeped through at her like this. And she went, and he went like that. And uh, then, uh, then, of course, we met him after. He's one of the great British singer songwriters. Why do you include that? Because this is what happened. So. We uh, helped Ray at the desk and got someone to look after him to do, go do a thing he was doing. And um, that night, I did my podcast. Halfway through the podcast, people started getting up. And I was like, what, what, what happened to me? What, what happened to my message? It was fresh, you know, a while ago. And um, 
And someone finally yelled out with a Welsh accent, we're going to see you massacre. And I was like, oh, he's playing next door. They all had to fuck off to go over to see the Hugh Masekela show in another tent, right? So cut to now I'm finally done. And it was an epic one that night. I think we went like an hour and 45 minutes. So we well past the fucking sell-by date on this. You can hear the music blasting in from the other tent. By the way, it was a giant room that night. It was, I think, 700 people or something in. And, uh, you know, about half left, right? So, like, you know, now I'm I finally... Oh, after an hour. So I wrap it up, right? We finish, and now we're having a drink after, right? And um, Jennifer and I have got our little drinks, and we're like, oh, my God, we've been listening to Hugh Masekela bleeding through the tent for a while. Let's go over and see Hugh Masekela. We were going to sneak in the back because we knew how to get there. And this is what was playing, you know. This is all you could hear from his fucking groovy trumpet sound, right? It actually almost sounds like it did at the Hay Festival, kind of. Imagine it through two tents. This is all you heard was just rhythm in that trumpet. So we're like, let's go see the Hugh Masekela show. And you got there in a van. One thing you need to know about the Hay Festival is it's more remote than the Fire Festival and with less douchey people. Uh, although there's more, uh, the food's more accessible. In order to get to the Hay Festival, you either drive your car and park it in a giant wet car park and then walk in your Wellingtons to the festival on a series of boards or... You stay at a hotel nearby, and by nearby, I mean several miles away, and are driven there in a van. And then they drive you back. Or sometimes a student will drive you in a car or whatnot. And by the way, this is a huge festival. Scientists, physicists, the people staying at our little crib that we stayed at in Wales were overqualified to stay at a and b Like, there, we were, you were having breakfast. And breakfast, by the way, in Wales, yes, is Welsh rarebit, which is... <laughs> A cheese toasty slathered with beer. It's the richest thing you'll ever eat. It's like eating hollandaise sauce off a piece of bread. And after two days of it, you're like, I don't think I can face that anymore. I'll just have the fruit salad and the toast, please. And then you talk like that for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, Oh, and the coffee and the tea was on the groaning board. Oh, we were there. I'm going to drop some names. We were there with Lindy West. Uh, We were there with... um, Carrie Fisher was there before us. Uh, um, Who was that Indian actress who'd written the children's book? She's lovely. Oh, God. And, and her husband was the head of Penguin, was it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, and one year we were saying they're husband and wife physicists and they pulled up really grumpy, you know, fantastic. So you get drunk in the living room base because that's the kind of place this is. So you're driven over, right? So they drove us over. And then we're like, well, we want to stay for Hugh Masekela. Now, we don't have our own ride, right? No scoot of our own to make us clear. I don't know if I made it clear. We, ha- we possess no sled. We have been driven. So... We're driven there, and now we're there. And now we're, I'm kind of in the bag. Jennifer's had like one or two, but I'm, I've already done my podcast, so I probably had a lot. And I'm like, I really want to see Miss Kayla. And that they're ever so nice at the Hay Festival. And in Britain, when they're going to let you down, they are more polite than they could ever be. Um, the moment that you're not going to get what you want is the moment that they start asking you if everything's all right with you. Which, of course, no, it's not all right. If you would quit asking me if I was all right. It, oh, uh, there's no food or anything. Is that all right? Um, no, we're not going to use you tonight. Is that all right? Are you happy with that? Are you happy to not have any food and nowhere to get dressed and have the toilet be an unfeasible bog full of bugs and shit? Uh, yeah, no, that'd be great. I, I'm happy with that. Yeah, I'm happy with that. Thank you for characterizing my feelings toward the situation before I get it. So they go, um, oh, oh, you can't stay and see Hugh Masekela. I don't know if they actually said those words. We're like, we want to stay and see Hugh Masekela. And we're like, well, do you want to ride home? And we're like, yeah, we'll go after. We'll go after we see Hugh Masekela. And they go, well, to be honest, you, you can't go after. Well, why can't we go after? Well, you see, there's only two vans, and one of them's for Hugh Masekela's band. And 
if you take it, then he can't have it. So he, you have to go now so that later we can pick up Hugh Masekela's band when they're finished. And I'm like, well, why don't we wait for them and we'll all ride with Hugh Masekela's band? Because there isn't enough room for you. Is that all right with you? N- well, no. We all, we want it now. Not only do we not get to meet Hugh Masekela's band, which was not even our intention, we don't even get to see Hugh Masekela's band. So we're driven back to the crib after not seeing. Now we've heard Hugh Masekela's band through the tent. And we have our drinks in our hands. And we're about to... Right. We're about to get rid of our drinks because we're getting in a vehicle. And the driver goes, oh, bring them with you. So we get in the van and he goes, who's more depressing? Tom Waits, Nick Drake, or Leonard Cohen? (laughs) And I said, well, that's an interesting question considering our circumstances. So we all weighed in. Uh, Well, I remember what you said. I said Nick Drake, I said, because he, his songs are peppier and more about love, which makes it even more depressing. And that he was probably over-medicated for what he had. Well, he's my favorite. Well, and, right, and Jennifer's favorite. And Leonard Cohen is always depressing. I mean, that's just the point of Leonard Cohen. And Tom Waits, I think, intermittently depressing and perplexing and then challenging later. Uh, anyways, uh, that, so it was, I, we didn't get, that was the trip of not meeting Hugh Masekela. We are, however, acquaintances with a British... Um, uh, director and producer type named Stanley Dorfman, who we were introduced to by our old pal Loretta Feldman. So we were having a barbecue at the crib, and we meet him, and he brought over a book of his artwork. He'd had an art show. This is the kind of credentials this dude has. He directed a, loads of the Ready Steady Goes and stuff. He directed the Be My Wife video by David Bowie. Um, he's been uh, the block around he has been. And um, we're, we're having cocktails out on the uh, 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 veranda here, uh, at the fortress and he says uh, yes I'm from South Africa and um, yeah I was the first one to put Hugh Masekela and Miriam McKeeba on a TV show in London we're like we're not really sure where to proceed conversationally after this I have nothing really to add to this other than I once bought a popsicle for some kids I knew well I didn't buy it but the thing is I split it with them well I didn't split it but I thought about it uh, so Hugh Masekela had this uh, surprise hit in 67 he was asked to record this song and um, I had a KTEL album called 20 Electric Hits and this was on it in between Love Grows Where My Rosemary Goes yeah the summer of love was uh, aided and abetted by the Afro Jazz sounds Uh, more cowbell there's cowbell in every beat. In fact, there's double time cowbell. I think it surprised Hugh Masekela as much as anyone else, but it was a worldwide smash and kind of made his career. And after that, uh, he was kind of made in America and everywhere. Let's see here. Uh, one of the world's finest and most distinctive horn players, I should say so, Exiled from his country for 30 years, he was a powerful singer and songwriter and an angry political voice using his music and live performance to attack the apartheid regime that had banished him from his homeland. Uh, Masakela continued to comment fearlessly on political events in South Africa and around the world. Um, and he played for president celebrities, the good and the great, as they say. Um, this is the part I wanted to tell you I thought was really cool. Masekil had wanted a trumpet, he said, after seeing the 1950 film Young Man with a Horn. That's that Kirk Douglas movie where Lauren Bacall plays a lesbian. And recalled that he told the priest, if I can 
get a trumpet. I won't bother anyone anymore. Um, he managed to raise uh, 15 quid and bought an instrument, found a black Salvation Army trumpeter to teach Masekela, and then he sat outside the school making hideous noises. Other pupils wanted instruments, and Huddleston Jazz Band was born. Huddleston Jazz Band was born. They wore black trousers and gray silk shirts and played American rather than African music. Along with Masakela, um, it also featured trombonist Jonas uh, Guanga, who would also become a star. Uh, let's see here. Masakela skills, blah 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 blah. Um, builds an all-African jazz opera. Uh, he teamed up with his. Uh, his mate, uh, Guanja, and uh, the others in the band for an adventurous hit musical, King Kong, billed as an all-African jazz opera. Its story of an, a boxer had an all-black cast and starred the country's first female, finest female singer, not first, finest, Miriam Makiba. This is what they have to say about it in The Guardian. Such an extraordinary flowering of black culture could not last long in our apartheid era. Makiba left the country and her citizenship was revoked because um, she'd taken part in the anti-apartheid film Come Back Africa. That's the Isley Brothers. I'm going to go back to this other one here. Let's um, bring him back, Masakela. Uh, yeah, he's called the father of um, South African jazz. Um, he went to London and New York, um, and Harry Belafonte helped him out, which is another mark on Harry Belafonte's long and illustrious career. Um, he had a gold record with uh, Grazing in the Grass, and... Um, this this article says that he was befriended by Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper. I'm not certain how useful that is uh, in those days. Then he went back to Africa, as I said. And um, at that point, Makiba was married to Stokely Carmichael. And he went to Kinshasa and, uh, and uh, hobnobbed with all of the good and great musicians of there. He also did uh, this song for Mandela. When Mandela was released... Um, Masakila was able to return to South Africa after 30 years and rather than retire he threw himself into a series of new recordings and projects and began to achieve the deserved status of an international celebrity in 96 he played for President Mandela and the Queen during Mandela's state visit to Britain um, Mandela danced in the royal box uh, Hugh Masakela isn't just swirling in the heavens he's making the heavens a much a much a better place uh, and now uh, back to the podcast which has already started um Quincy Jones gave an interview this week, or rather several long interviews um, that really traversed the entire world. We found out who killed JFK. Uh, we found out about some of Brando's sexual peccadilloes, which included, um, according to Quincy Jones, in a moment of exaggerative glee, that he would copulate with um, containers for our U.S. Postal Service. Um, we also found out that he, quote, dated uh, Ivana, Ivanka, not Ivana, Ivana Trump, um, which one did I say? Ivana. Oh, I meant Ivanka. He probably should have dated Ivana. That would have been a little less scary. And we don't know what the word dated means. Um, and then after a series of telling us that he had 22 girlfriends, including two different ones in Brazil, and that he wasn't a white supremacist because he dated girls of different nations, he also said, four, five daughters, is it? Three wives? Um, women are a trip was one of his observations. Now I take nothing away from Quincy Jones. I think he's something that he said that was significant that the uh, reporter asked him was you broke a lot of ground. And so much as you were the first black person to get to do this, the first black person to score, you know, major Hollywood picture, first black person to have their own, you know, be president of a label, this, that. And he went, um, that means only, 
And I wanted to reemphasize that for Black History Month. When Quincy Jones was finally allowed to go through the front door of the casino because Frank Sinatra bade the casino do so in Frank Sinatra's position as kingpin of organized crime, <laughs> then uh, he was the only black musician allowed to do that. Do you follow what I'm saying here? This is an ancient history. Quincy's only 84. He's the age of your grandfather and um, evidently does not care anymore about anything that's ever going to happen. It's That's all over. He's just rolling the bloody dice now and I, everybody loves it. He said some shit that's fucked up beyond measure. He said some shit that's unsubstantiated. He changed his mind on a lot of things. After suggesting that Brando had had sex with three of the great black icons of the 20th century, he went, do you like Brazilian music? And that's my favorite segue in the entire interview. Because the reporter goes, prior Marvin Gaye and James, what, what? And he goes, do you like Brazilian music? Like, no, this isn't when you offer me some, some bugles. You know what I mean? You like snack food? I made some Chex Mix. No, I don't want to go. I want to talk about this part. You don't tell me that Richard Pryor and Marlon Brando were rolling around and then switched to Brazilian music, okay? Anyway, it's fine, fine reading, and I suggest you get into it uh, whenever you can. Um, I would just suggest to all men, though, that if, if you're going to live to be 85, this whole women are a trip thing isn't enough for me. I, I need a little insight. Like what I've learned for women is if you let them, they'll tell you about yourself. Or if you listen to them, they'll reveal a lot of things you might not have known. Not, yeah, I got girlfriends in 22 countries. Women are a trip. <laughs> they really are. They're an expensive, lavish trip through a giant career. Um, I take nothing away from again, as I said, uh, uh, other than his own innate uh, inability to acknowledge his own his Dunning-Kruger effect of sexism um, but uh, when you're stabbed through the hand when you're seven years old was it to a fence with a, with a switchblade and have an ice pick stuck in your temple and then go on to write every goddamn soundtrack the heat of the night also uh, that Austin Powers whatever that one's called he wrote that one too Quincy Jones is a badass and um, really I thought one of the more interesting parts was he said that he thought uh, they asked him who's the most underrated um, and uh, of all the artists. And, you know, it's interesting because he's worked with Ray Charles, Frank Sinatra. Um, he said the Brothers Johnson. And uh, I know we've talked about it before, but I'm going to spin it right now anyway, just to get an idea of some of his work. Quincy didn't write the song, but he arranged this. It's a Shiggy Otis song and it didn't sound anything like this. And this is the Brothers Johnson. That's Lewis Johnson on uh, bass. Thunder Thumbs. Oh, yeah. Talk about psychedelic soul. I heard a kiss from you. Um, the arrangement on that song is beautiful. He also thought he saw, uh, that James Ingram was underrated, which I thought was wildly interesting. Um, I didn't want to get cut up on it forever, but God damn it, it was a hell of an interview, and I think it made all of our weeks. To, to wake up to that news the other day really took a lot of the edge off this week, let's be honest. This, is, this wasn't um, a, a storm of fecal matter this week. This was... Uh, an Antarctic blizzard of, of infinite proportions. We really are 
reaching a, an, an astounding point in American history. Speaking of American history, here's a headline that I wanted to read you. Um, because it was quite a week for animal news. And by the way, if you want to write me, it's a fanmail for Greg at gmail.com. And a lot of people have done written me. There's been a lot of wild boars attacks. There was one in Japan. There was one in Germany. We're moving right over those because I found two of the greatest headlines in the history of animal um, journalism. Dog hungry for pancakes. Yeah. This is from the Canadian from Global. Dog hungry for pancakes accidentally starts fire inside Massachusetts home. No. I say no to that story. <clears throat> we watched it. There's a video to it. It's great. Um, there, it's not that the dog is flipping pancakes, which is what I presumed, or that someone is making pancakes. There is, in fact, a stack of pancakes on a stove that you can barely see. The dog leaps up on the stove, hits its paw, and it's one of those bloody stoves where when you hit a button, it goes and starts the... Um, gas jet on so he runs away from the stove after having tried to eat a pancake and then you see the flames at top uh, uh, flame volume set fire to the entire house while entire house while he and another dog watch from a safe distance to weigh on a couch and as i said to jennifer these dogs don't bark or raise an alarm or anything they actually if anything inch backwards slightly to watch the fire start to consume the kitchen then the family's house was attached to uh, a firehouse. The alarm was attached and a fireman enters and a, a policeman enters and they put the fire out and pet the dog. But the dog doesn't do, by the way, shit to save this fucking house. And it's a giant golden retriever. It's completely worth your time. Then there's another one here. Uh, Jennifer showed me this one, but it's was on the internets all week. And if you haven't seen it, it's just fantastic. A dog riding a one-eyed pony into the night is surely a spectacle that needs video proof. A Missouri woman made sure to get exactly that. This is um, the Associated Press, and the dateline is Bolivar, Missouri. No one on Twitter, by the way, wrote, this video is a bloody dog and pony show, and I can't believe that no one did. I'm doing it right here and right now. The Springfield News Leader reports... That Callie Schenker pulled into her driveway Thursday to the side of her neighbor's corgi sitting on her horse, Cricket. She recorded a 15-second video of the pony trotting away in the darkness as the canine sits atop looking at the camera. The 22-year-old posted the video on the Facebook with the message, I can't make this stuff up, triple exclamation point. Miss Schenker, you made this stuff up. Uh, it's really a cute video. The corgi looks at the camera like, huh? And then the pony runs away. And she goes, oh my God. And then this is uh, my favorite part. She claims that she didn't know that this was happening and that it had never happened before. And that she had simply arrived home after work to find her corgi astride the pony cricket. When you see this video, this is the fattest corgi. And I'm not fat shaming corgis. <laughs> If there's one thing this show has tried not to do since 2010, it's fat shame corgis. I will, however, fat shame Cricket the Pony. That pony's fat, and I don't see how a pony gets that fat. And I blame you, Callie Shanker. <laughs> you gotta whip my pony out. I'm stuffing a macaroon in my mouth and complaining that the pony's too fat. This is what Miss Shanker said. We pull into our driveway tonight, and this is what we see. This is not our dog. But apparently him and Cricket the One-Eyed Wonder Pony are best friends. Yeah, not only is Cricket fat, it only has one eye. She only has one eye. 
The video has received 5.3 million views as of Tuesday morning and is going to be series on Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) The Dog and Pony Show. Corgi on a pony. It's like a corgi on a pony. Uh, Cricket, the one I wonder, are best friends. Shanger says the Corgi's owners are Mennonites. This is where the story gets good. Shanky, when hasn't a story gotten sexier when the, the tagline is the owners are Mennonites? Shanker says the Corgi's owners are Mennonites who avoid going online so they likely don't know their dog is gaining internet fame. There's another thing that this proof cast has stood for since the beginning, and that's the promotion of Corgi's in their gaining of internet fame. By the way, internet fame is like Bitcoin. You can spend it almost anywhere. Uh, it's really worth your while if you want to watch that one. Um, pony and Cricket. I mean, Pony is the Pony is Cricket. The Corgi. What is the Corgi's name? Oh, it's her neighbor's Corgi. And they're Mennonites, so they didn't name it. It's just called Corgan. I don't know why Mennonites talk that way. They do. And you cannot fucking trust them. Why do Mennonites avoid going online? Isn't there an online Mennonite gaming site? I seem to remember it. The Beards of Fun or something. I don't know. What the fuck was that one? You can write me, fanmailforgregatgmail.com. Andrew wrote me um, about Jack Whitten. We talked about Jack Whitten, speaking of Black History Month. One of the great, um, this country's undersung and uh, recently um, sung, recently praised uh, black artists. Um, he'd been working for ages and ages. And um, this, this story you'll really like. Jennifer did, and I think you'll like it too. Mr. Proops, thank you for addressing me that way, Andrew. I had the great pleasure of meeting Jack Whitten in 2012. I was working my MFA, that's Master of of, uh, Fine Arts, in Visual Studies in Portland. And we did a study trip to New York to meet artists and visit galleries and museums. I met some really amazing artists and saw some amazing art. And overused the word amazing. (laughs) I'm joking, Andrew. I'm sorry. Thank you for writing me the letter. It's a beautiful letter. I'm going to carry on. But nothing during that trip stands out more to me than to visit my classmate to Mr. Witten's studio in Queens. And this is where it gets groovy. His studio was an old firehouse. And we talked about it last time, if you remember... In the New York Times article, it described what he was wearing, the glitter tennis shoes and the jacket, um, his look, um, the crib, that he, uh, the studio that he was um, working in. This is where our friend Andrew got to go. Um, he met us in the aforementioned silver sneakers and was the perfect combination of charming and grumpy. He was working on a tribute to Elizabeth Murray, a favorite of mine, told us Louise Bourgeois was a real bitch. He meant it as a positive thing. Now, if you read the smartest book in the world, uh, Maman uh, is one of the pieces of art that I picked that we should steal and great pieces of art to steal because it's an enormous spider that stands outside the, the museum in Bilbao and there's absolutely no way to steal it. And then I think I believe we back off and say it reminds us too much of our mothers and we all a freak out. Um, but Louise Bourgeois made that one. By the way, Louise Bourgeois lived to be 100, was she? 98, 96? Sure. All, uh, women surrealist artists, it's a, it's a ticket to longevity. Uh, people talk about, what, what, what's the secret to long life? Be a woman, uh, a 20th century uh, woman. Uh, or a photographer. Or a photographer. Or uh, what's his name? Cartier-Bresson. Didn't he live to be 104 or something? Right? Uh, Sonny, and spoke of Sonny Rollins and Ornette Coleman, two of Jennifer's favorites, and two people we saw had the great pleasure of seeing live uh, on, an, on a first-name basis. And by the way, Sonny Rollins is still gigging, so if you have a chance to see him. Uh, my graduate thesis was on the intersection of abstraction and painting and improvisational music. 
Dig that. Look at the big brain on Andrew. I love it. My graduate thesis was on the intersection of abstraction in painting and improvisational music. Excellent, excellent thesis. So I was awestruck. While I love the gilded ham hock bones, my fondest visual memory was his, excuse me, densely populated bulletin board above his work table of photo scraps and magazines and source material. Now, every artist that I've ever known and every designer um, always has this. Uh, Jennifer has one. I have stuff everywhere all around my table. Um, other people would call it dusty junk that needs to be moved. I call it uh, inspiration. Uh, and I, that really excited me to think about what Jack Whitten might have pinned over uh, his... Uh, I, I assume everything from jazz masters to women to uh, uh, pictures of movie stars to great works of art, architectural snippets, heaven knows. There was a photo of him and de Kooning, by the way, in case you weren't ready for big... Yeah, de, William de Kooning mentored him and um, is played in possibly the most outlandish performance of any modern artist by Val Kilmer in the movie Pollock, who I think is wearing a prosthetic head or something in it. There's a, a scene in the preview. Ed Harris plays uh, Jackson Pollock and they meet William de Kooning in a restaurant in New York and Val Kilmer goes, I'm Bill. And you're like, no. If that was how they met... There was a photo of him and de Kooning, and my favorite, a photo of a younger Mr. A younger Mr. Witten emerging from the sea in Greece in tight red swim trunks with a speared octopus in tow. Gorgeous. Thanks for singing his praises. His work's thoughts and uh, presence was profound and singular while managing to encompass us all. And isn't that what truly great, art, great art is supposed to do? Uh, see you next time in Portland. I'll, be, I'll see you in Seattle on the 12th. Portland's canceled for the moment. We're going to come back in October. We've taken a date. Um, thank you uh, for that, Andrew. That was a lovely reminiscence of Jack Whitten. And yes, we all wish we could have seen him in his studio be grumpy and fierce and awesome and um, charming. And that picture of him coming out of the ocean with a spirit octopus, I think it would have made us all happy. Speaking of happy, Dr. Richard Vanch is uh, on the um, original uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway? You remember him, remember him as Dr. Richard Vanch at the piano. Um, he also can be seen every week at the Comedy Store Players. He can also be seen uh, uh, downstairs in his flat. Uh, where I often visit him and uh, we sit and drink and talk of things. Uh, he sent me this. Uh, he's also a doctor of physics from Cambridge and was the one you may remember from the Proopcast who provided the explanation of cold fusion several years back because he's the only person I know who could explain it because he's an actual physicist. Not only can he annoyingly explain the difference between Celsius and centigrade, um, he actually knows what all physics, physics, phys those type of terms mean. So if you're watching like say a rocket launch and you're like, what the bugger's going on? He'll go, well, you see the thing is, and then you're like, let's have a drink. So he sent me this. And because Richard and I often joke together being comedians and him being more overqualified to tell knob gags than any human alive. This is, I think one of his greatest Brexit kicking in was the heading he sent me on his email. The Dorset knob throwing festival is canceled for 2018. <laughs> that's Brexit kicking in for you. Am I right or am I right? An annual knob throwing festival has been canceled and could become an biennial event. Organizers have said that's the most contradictory headline of all time since dog hungry for pancakes accidentally sets fire in Massachusetts home. It was arson. I saw the video that dog. I need to call McGruff. You know what I'm talking about? You t you turn one dog in for another. Uh, how can it be canceled and then could become a biennial event? Read on. 
The competition to hurl the traditional local Dorset biscuits the furthest distance has been running since 2008. They're called Dorset knobs. You know what else is called a knob? Yeah. Uh, knob maker Moore's Biscuits recently told organizers the event, and this is where your trouble begins, organizers spelled with an S because it's England, and that's where all the fucking trouble begins. Organizers. No, organizers, okay? Z doesn't get enough of a workout in English language. If you've ever played Scrabble, you know that you're, the one thing you're scrabbling for is if you get a Z, because you, where do you use it? After zoo has been used or ooze, it's over. The game's over. No one, no one uses it for longer than a three-letter or four-letter word. No one. And by the way, you just want ooze. I got to remember that one. Yeah, you do when you play Scrabble. Yeah, Zoe tropes uh, something to aspire to. It's never going to come up. And then I could probably argue you down that it's too proper of a name, although I'm sure it's something. A Zoetrope is an original film projector or something like that. It's probably not. A, I don't know. Is it a brand name? Right. Is a Zoetrope the one that you spin and, like, and you see the horse run around? Yeah. But that is not a, a patented. Aren't you not allowed to use like trademark things? Like you can't say Q-tip and, and Scrabble, right? Well, now this has turned into a forum on... <laughs> Scrabble rules, but I don't think you can use Q-tip. Could you use Q-tip the rapper, though? No, it's hyphenated. No, it's a device. Really? Well, it's Zoe Trip's a device. So is a Q-tip, for goodness sake. Oh, there it is. Ryan was right. It is the little circular thing. That's a Zoe Trip. All right, well. Have sex with me eight ways from a mailbox. Why don't you, Brando? (laughs) Knobmaker Moore's Biscuits recently told the organizers the event had, quote, run its course but it's since changed its mind festival chairman ian gregory said the firm said the event would come back bigger and better the competition incorporates a food festival as well as games such as knob and spoon racing and this one i think you'll all you'll help me on the pronunciation on this jennifer pinning the knob on the cern abbas giant is it kern abbas you know the giant that's a, a, a Neolithic marking on a hill in England. You've seen this, right? It, it, it's on a perfectly clear giant countryside hill. And he has an enormous wand, right? That's what distinguishes this Neolithic carving uh, from every post pile and every fucking piece of fucking wood like at Avaberry and everywhere in England that they've deemed was built by druids and whatnot. This is a real proper giant drawn into the ground by, I'm guessing, sort of Bronze Age or post-Bronze Age people. And it's spelled C-E-R-N-E-A-B-B-A-S. Kern Abbas? I'm sure someone will write me with this. So I'll get a, we'll get a letter as soon as this is posted. Uh, which, and by the way, this is the Valentine's issue. There it is. That's what it's spelled. I'm wearing Valentine's lights. You can't see me. But if you could see me, it's a very romantic atmosphere in here. Just the three of us. We're also drinking white privileges, which is really nice. I don't know what Jennifer's drinking. Water, I think. But Ryan and I are drinking white privileges, which is rum uh, apple juice and uh, money. Uh, for more than 4,000 people attended the event in 2017, when it moved, this is what I love about British papers. W- who is this salient to? When it moved from Catastock to Kingston Morewood House near Dorchester. Oh, fuck. Remember when it used to be the knob throwing festival at Catastock? Yeah, we used to pin the knob on the current Abbas Giant at Catastock. Oh, when we moved, now it's a Kingston Morewood House near Dorchester. By the way, not in Dorchester near Dorchester because when you write an address in England and someone lives at a house um, it's not in the town but the postman knows or post person now we say it's post person Pat 
And postperson pap might be a man or a woman. So let's not get hung up on labels because labels disable. Um, the <laughs> the postperson knows where it is. We have several friends who live on. Uh, our, our friend Jim lives in a place and it, that's called something house. Right. And then our friend Rainbow lives in a thing that's a lodge, I think. So you just write, you know, like Bickleby Lodge outside of Pirtleston near Shittleton on the web. And then somehow someone finds this. There's no numbers. There's no map. I'm not kidding. It'll be Fiston in the Glen outside of Hamilton. And you're like, what? And then because towns really do have those names in England. We've gone through it a million times. There's like Nibble Dock. You know what I mean? You're like, no, you can't be called that. You know, uh, lick, lick and Crack. And you're like, no, one's, it's not called Lick and Crack. And you're like, yeah, it was a Viking place. No, it wasn't a Viking place. Kingston Moorward House. Uh, let's see here. Other games at the festival. Yeah, we got to that. Mr. Gregory, that's Ian Gregory to you, said the cancellation of the event rescheduled for May was caused by several factors. And this is what I love. The Moore's biscuit concern that makes the knobs, the Dorset knobs. You want to know why the event was scheduled was canceled? The retirement of long serving committee members. What? I say we push ahead with this. We can't. He's gone now and I have no direction. Where do we go with the Knob Festival? Let's just have it next year. We're coming back. We're coming back bigger and better than ever. What accent are you doing, Greg? I don't know. I lost it. I lost it during pinning the knob on the giant. He said the, the festival might switch to being held every two years to give it more oomph. Biennial. Biennial. Biennial doesn't make anything more oomph. By curious makes it more oomphy. If the Dorset Knob Festival was by curious, then people would be like, ooh, I would like to pin it on the giant. And then other people would like, I'd like you to pin it on me. And I don't want you to tell me. I want you to sweetly surprise me like a Norwegian. David Winship, a partner at Moore's Biscuits, said, we've been doing it for 10 years. It's not formulaic, but it's much the same year after year. And I think the cancellation was right. And then I'm going to read you this last line so as to make it good as Jeremy Irons. In the 2017 competition, Pete Asher threw his bun the furthest in the rainy conditions with an effort of 22 meters 70. Dorset knob facts. The biscuit textured buns have been made by Moors of Morecambe Lake for more than 150 years. Originally, they were made from leftover bread dough with added butter and sugar, hand-rolled into buns, and left to dry in the dying heat of the oven. It is thought their name comes from the hand-sewn Dorset knob buttons that were also made locally. But the truth is, reach in and find out. Girl Scouts, there's a segue. The taste factor has been broken. Um, Jennifer sent me this one, but I'm sure you've read about it. It was in the global news. Um, a, a Girl Scout down here in San Degraded, uh, which is in Southern California. And by the way, we'll be in San Degraded um, in just a very short amount of time. Uh, from Global News, California Girl Scouts sells more than 300 boxes of cookies in front of weed dispensary. I'm sure you saw it on uh, Instagram this week. It said, and this is what's so fantastic here. Um, the, Mar the San Diego marijuana shop, by the way, we're recreational in California. Uh, not everywhere. And like I said, it hasn't come out with a big fling flang, but we are posted a picture of uh, the Girl Scout on Instagram advertising a strain of weed flavored with Girl Scout cookies. And here's the picture. And it's a, just adorable. She's wearing sunglasses. You can see it there. Uh, and she's holding a big bunch of different boxes. And um, she's got like a little green Girl Scout coat on and a, and a cute little hat. And she's standing in front of a giant thing that says urban leaf. Um, 
the marketing genius of standing in front of a weed shop selling I could eat a box of the mints. I mean, I don't, I don't have to be high. I am often high, but I don't have to be high. Uh, Jennifer doesn't, she won't go. I mean, are you more of a peanut butter girl or oh, yeah. peanut butter? Yeah, that's Not the mints? You like peanut butter, mints, then Samoas. Oh, right, the Samoa. Oh, man, I forgot about the Samoas. You thought that Dennis Edwards song reminded me of it because they go, Bella Bango, Bella Hongo, and a home Samoa. And right, like a Girl Scout cookie? Don't look any further. Um, and they wrote, get some Girl Scout cookies with your GSC today. Have a friend and want to tag along. Bring them. Shopping's more fun with friends, wrote the Urban Belief. It, Urban Leaf. Urban Belief, but it really did. Then there was a flap doodle and hoo-ha and peepaw over whether she breached Girl Scout protocol and all this. Um, you know what I say? I say let the Girl Scouts sell their cookies, man. I'm never bummed out when I see that sash. I'm always like, oh, I know there's cookies ahead. And I always buy a couple boxes of the mints. I'll get a peanut butter, but I'll re-gift it. I'm going to get Samoa next time, Ryan. You hit me. Now that you reminded me of them, they're, they're pretty fucking good. Don't read the ingredients. The problem with Girl Scout cookies is you get high and then you start perusing the box. And it's best to really, really keep your focus on the TV or the computer at that point. Because the list is a lot of cancer-causing chemicals. And that's what makes them so delicious. They're like McDonald's fries. I'm sure there's something deeply wrong and basically flawed about them, but that's okay. Um, didn't it say that um, McDonald's fries this week could cure baldness? There was an element in the grease of McDonald's fries. Um, who was it who said they tried it and it didn't work? It was a Republican, actually. And it was quite funny. Ari Fleischer, I'm not requoting anything Ari Fleischer said. I don't even care if he said something funny. I'm not requoting him. Um, isn't that taking sides? Shouldn't you be nonpartisan? Shouldn't you listen to a different podcast? Uh, the Stockton mayor is as cool as can, it can be. Um, our Stockton mayor, and I say ours because um, I play Stockton once a year. His name is Michael Tubbs. And what Michael Tubbs is going to do is uh, he has a plan in the city of Stockton um, to provide basic income for residents. And the conservatives have had a go at him this week. And Jennifer gave me this article. Um, Stockton is a fun little town. It's in the Central Valley, California. It's about an hour or some from San Francisco. And uh, uh, head east. All of a sudden, you'll hear country music. Then you'll hear 50s music. Then you'll hear Mexican music. Uh, and then you'll hear everything. There's an awesome Thai restaurant. You know the one I mean. It's right when you walk through that main drag where the plaza thingy is. Um, I often go there. Uh, there's also Mexican around the corner from that that I go to too. Um, and then the best fucking breakfast place in the Central Valley called Mom's Mama's. Uh, and I eat there every time we play Stockton. And it's fantastic. Anyway, uh, why do you know so much about Stockton? Wanting, just relax. Uh, Stockton has a bad rep for being kind of racist. It's also, um, did they shoot uh, American Graffiti there? George Lucas is from Modesto, right? But I don't think they shot it in Modesto. I think they shot it in Stockton. Really, parts of it have that feel. And they really do do the thing on the weekends where all the, um, they roll out all the fucking vintage 1960s. It's so American graffiti. They roll out vintage cars and it's Cadillacs and people eat hamburgers with a girl on roller skates in the hall. You know, they really run that thing there. It's nice. Michael Tubbs is an African-American man. He's the mayor of Stockton. Um, Michael Tubbs provided a polished clapback to critics who attempted to downplay his plan. This is from Vibe. Uh, which all y'all should be reading, as well as The Root and Blavity and Very Smart Brothers. That'll give you some perspective on your white world. Uh, plans to provide funds to residents to his basic income plan announced in October with the assistance 
of Facebook co-founder Chris Hughes and others. The Stockton Economic Empowerment Demonstration, SEED, will provide 100 people of different incomes with $500 a month for three years. How do you like those apples? Excuse me. Tubb started his political career at the age of 22 and was inspired to look into basic income after reading Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos or Community by Martin Luther King Jr. In the book, King brings up the idea of basic income and how it will end poverty in America. I'm now convinced that the simplest approach will prove to be the most effective. The solution to poverty is to abolish it directly by a now widely discussed measure, the guaranteed income. The program includes a million dollar grant from the Economic Security Project, along with crowdfunded donations. Um, It's the first populous city to file for bankruptcy after the recession in 2012. They've tried to rebuild their economy since then. One in four residents live below the poverty line. That's why he's doing this. Chuck Woolery took him on on the web. Chuck Woolery is like, you know, James Woods and us. These rich white guy conservatives who live up in the Hollywood Hills and they think anyone who tries to help anyone is a socialist or a communist. So this is what Michael Tubbs wrote in response. I'm not going to read you the Chuck Woolery one. I'm 27. Please look up the word universal. We haven't been bankrupt for years and are actually the second fiscally healthy city in the state. It's It's philanthropically funded. The majority of people are struggling in this economy. We have to deal with that. And that's what his response was to Chuck Woolery saying that universal health care was socialism. Uh, he shared, let's see here, you can, you can look it up uh, on the Vibe. Uh, it's a very groovy article. I want to read you again what he's doing, just so you get an idea of what this um, providing basic incomes looks like. And by the way, this is funded by other people. 100 people of different income levels will get 500 a month for three years. Imagine how much difference that would make to your lifestyle. Um, to receive that kind of money. It's a beautiful thing, and it's a really innovative thing. And Stockton is a nice place, and we're very proud of Mayor Tubbs. Moving on with very little, if any, segues. Um, uh, white guys are defending abusers a lot this week, starting with Orange 45, but working its way down to Brett Stevens at the New York Times. I'm only stopping off on this because I'm sick of it. We talked about Bernow, and we talked about Brian Cranston, and we talked about Matt Damon. Well, they're not even the main violators. Uh, they're like demi-hemi apologists compared to these guys. Brett Stevens wrote this piece about Woody Allen today where we're all supposed to reconsider how unfair the world has been to Woody Allen, who is an 80-year-old millionaire who's never had one moment of detriment for all of the things he has done did in his life. Not one moment has anyone ever punished him uh, economically or in his gigantic Leviathan comedy career that he's had until recently when Netflix recently pulled the last um, series. Now... Looking at it from that position of privilege, Brett Stevens really didn't have a reason to go off this week in the New York Times, other than the fact that Ross Tuthet, who runs the Times, and I assume Maggie Halberstam, whatever bloody power she has left at the New York Times, are determined to make the New York Times a combination of the, uh, uh, of the star uh, and, and like, what if Breitbart had ads for Tiffany's in it and shit like that? What if you could go to, uh, you know, right? What if you could go to Bergdorf on the Breitbart site? What if Alex Jones had a deal with fucking sailboats or whatever? Um, the New York Times really needs to pull their shit together. If you're supposed to be um, all the, what was it, all the news that's fit to print, um, why don't you do that? Um, I don't think you have to go full Joseph Pulitzer in a newspaper has no friends. Um, but it, you really don't have to run a, a profile on a Trump supporter every week. They ran another one this week. You really don't have to do that to be balanced. Um, there's plenty of Trump supporters being heard. They're on TV every day. I have to hear from Sarah Huckabee Sanders and from 
Kellyanne Conway and from every other pundit on CNN and from every pundit on Fox News and from every other pundit on every bloody outlet. Believe me, this administration's point of view is being pushed through in the midst of the collusion, malfeasance, treason and abuse of women that it both embraces and defends. And so I don't want to hear it anymore. And I don't want to read it from an organ that uh, is supposed to be an organ of some intellect, an organ that aims high, an organ that calls all of its subjects within the pages of its paper, Mr. Uh, and Ms. Everyone is given their title and full due at the New York Times. However, if you want to read up on it, you can. You can read Mr. Stevens' article. That's not what I suggest you do. Um, Maureen Orth did a piece for Vanity Fair, and it is called Woody Allen Sex Abuse 10 Facts. Go to VanityFair.com, Maureen Orth. You'll find plenty to chew on there. These are facts uh, about what happened in the Woody Allen, Mia Farrow, Ronan Farrow case. I have every reason to believe Ronan Farrow because I tend to believe women. You mean Dylan Farrow? What did I say? Well, oh, I believe Ronan too. Uh, I have every reason to believe Dylan Farrow uh, because I believe uh, her and I believe Ronan as well. Um, it's a long, complicated affair, as all of these things are. If you have a family, you know this. You know that all matters like that are inconceivably complicated and irretrievably hurtful. And it's really about time that we started focusing on the hurt that women have had to endure and what women have had to go through or any victim of these kind of things. And stop talking about how we have to believe men until the end of goddamn time. I'm so sick of it. Jim Carroll had to resign from the Orange 45 White House this week. Deputy Chief of Staff. Well, quite a large position at the White House Chief of Staff. Uh, that would be General Jim Kelly is the Chief of Staff. The one who's been uh, praising uh, Rob Porter, who also had to uh, resign in disgrace this week over allegations of abusing two wives. And you all seen the evidence of his first wife, Colby, and her um, black eye picture. Um, Rob Porter uh, is in deep trouble for what he done did. He also did not have full security clearance. He was in on a pass reading and perusing all of the top secret papers that go in front of Orange 45 every day. If this isn't treason and this isn't collusion, you can tell me what it is. And don't start with me about the economy or how he's made the border safe or any nonsense that's weird, um, ineffectual, um, unfactual talking points talking about the reality of the day-to-day work that goes on in this country um these two guys are up to their neck in it they both had to resign this week for the same reason also david Sorensen, who is a protege of miller at the white house who's the chief speechwriter Sorensen's one of his speechwriters my favorite tweet was from was it from my friend randy hauser the other day who wrote someone really writes the speeches which i thought was very funny that he's not just ad-libbing this white supremacist jazz david Sorensen is an avid white supremacist and by the way come at me disprove to me that he's a white supremacist by the content of his speeches. Show me something in the speech that isn't white supremacist and then we can argue about this. Don't just tell me I'm fleeing allegations and calling people names. I'm not using profanity and I'm being as respectful as possible to a group of people who I don't think deserve that much respect. And you may have heard Orange 45 come out and talk about uh, Rob Porter and say what a valiant guy he was, what a great guy he was. General Kelly come out and talk about what an upstanding citizen he was and what a right guy he was. And But you have to, have to remember that Orange 45 said about all of the 16 women as we up to that accused him of, um, uh, abu- of uh, sexual harassment and abuse. They're all horrible, horrible liars. So what we know 
is that this White House doesn't believe any woman who accuses any man of harassment or abuse. They do not believe one woman, not one. They're all liars, but they believe every single man and every single man is innocent until proven guilty. And according to a tweet today that he most certainly did not write, uh, as pointed out by Eric Baylor, who writes for uh, Media Matters, uh, Eric Baylor is quite a keen student of the media scene in this country and pointed out today, uh, this is um, uh, Saturday, this will be dropping on Monday, that uh, Trump tweeted today that due process was being denied uh, Rob Porter and his accusations. Um, he used the word allegation and he used the word due process and he's never used those in a tweet before. There was also no bizarre capitalizations and no punctuation mistakes. So it's almost certain that probably Hopex wrote this today. And that's where we're at right now. He's got people writing his tweets for him that are as sexist as if he wrote them, but with better legalese in them. And for him to call for due process, I seem to recall a few moments in the old uh, uh, Mango Mussolini's career when due process was obviated just a few weeks ago. And I'm, I'm not kidding. It was just a few weeks ago. He called for Huma Abedin, that well-known world leader, to be jailed. Does anyone remember this? He also, for six years, insisted that our duly elected president, Barack Obama, was from the country of Kenya and would not accept a birth certificate provided from the state of Hawaii, an official birth certificate. He also insisted that the Central Park Five be executed for a crime that not only were they exonerated for, they received a multi-million dollar, uh, in the $40 million range, was it? Settlement. A wrongful, wrongful um uh, uh, they, were, they were wrongfully um, uh, jailed and that's where they received a giant settlement from the court and he still insisted after that that they oh oh also uh, the basketball players in China their shoplifting was such a huge crime that they were lucky that the Chinese authorities didn't jail them till the end of time but Mr. Uh, Sorensen Mr. Porter and Mr. Carroll um, abusing women uh, they, why can't we give them the benefit of the doubt? What the hell's happened to this country? Why have we slid into oblivion? There is no bottom to this because abusers are going to defend and rally for other abusers. That's what happens with abusers. Abusers deny you. The reason why women are afraid to come forward is women came forward in all three of these cases, sometimes more than one woman. And they were all shut down, denied. And uh, uh, we found out in the last two days that um, Secretary Nay General Kelly has actually lied about it, that he knew about the allegations against Rob Porter and was just keeping it quiet and was telling everyone else to do it too. So knowing all those things, can you really move forward with any assurance that they're not lying to you, one, about everything, and two, that their misogyny, sexism, and covering up of abuse, and in fact, embracing abuse, that men are supposed to abuse? Um, Seb Gorka, um, uh, Steve Bannon, Steve Bannon, everybody knows he was accused of abusing his wife. It's in an affidavits. I'm not making any of this up. I don't have to. I'm not sensationalizing it. I don't have to. A picture of a woman with a black eye um, who, uh, 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 these are, there's police reports. There was an FBI investigation into Porter's allegations. That's not, if that, where is the due process not come in? Well, if the FBI is called in because the security level's that high, wouldn't it behoove you to have the taste decorum and adult, um, decency to say this is a terrible state of affairs and I'm sorry it ever happened um, I use the word decency and adult decorum and that's why it's not going to happen he preaches to an illiterate angry base and his illiterate angry base demands several things from him 
One is the assurance that he will be racist. Another one is the suppression of women at all times. And the third is that the economic interests of the rich are looked for, uh, are looked after before and to the exclusion of all other pursuits. How do you mean? Um, raising the military budget um, when we're in the state we're in right now seems to be one of the most fruitless pursuits you could have possibly imagined. Um, not as fruitless as sending a car into space uh, on our taxpayer money. By the way, $5 billion in um, subsidies for Elon Musk. In case she thought it was impressive, let me have $5 billion and I'll put on a comedy show in space that'll have every great comic you ever love. I swear to God, I'll have Jen Kirkman orbiting Apache Nancheria. I'll have... Liz Winstead will be in a giant ovary floating over the world with Helen Hong. It'll be the best goddamn comedy show you've ever seen in your life. I'm going to fire Margaret Cho out of a peppermint cannon. And Kathy Griffin's going to catch her in a web made of trickery. Uh, it, it will be the best. Give me a $4.9 billion in subsidies. When people said they were impressed with Elon Musk this week, uh, we have a space program. It's called NASA. It's there at the behest of the military industrial complex, which is there at the behest of all the giant corporations. You may remember our former president, Dick Cheney, was the CEO of Halliburton. Halliburton is one of those firms that supplies the military. Their entire fortune is predicated on the fact that our budget is so bloated with military funds. Moving on. Um, let's see here. Uh, friends and associates of Corbett confided in their marriage was abusive. Corbett uh, is uh, Sorensen's, is the woman, uh, Ms. Corbett is the woman that uh, Mr. Sorensen has abused. He berated her with vulgar language and discussed deteriorating marriage with others. She gave the Post a photo of her hand bearing a scar she said was from a cigarette burn. In a lengthy statement, Sorensen said, he had, quote, never committed violence of any kind against any woman in my entire life. And this is where you can believe that he's a speechwriter for this administration. This next sentence smacks of so much excusive duplicity, so much abrogating exoneration, so much self-serving mea culpa, bloody nonsense that it is like an iguana swimming off the warm shores of Ecuador in a pool of its own fucking deceit. Listen to this line. He had never committed violence of any kind against any woman in his life, followed by this line. In fact, I was the victim of repeated physical violence during our marriage. And he's considering legal options to address her defamation. Who does that sound like, all y'all? Who does that sound like? Projection. Joseph Goebbels said it. Accuse your enemy of exactly what you're doing. Judge Nolan was Trump's campaign manager in the state of Kentucky and is quite friendly with Mitch McConnell, the cave salamander who's holding our country hostage. This is from the New York Daily News. Um, Judge Nolan, uh, let's see here if I can find it. And hang on one second while I look it up and the boring part continues. The Daily News from New York. I'm going to read you the headline in one paragraph and then I'm going to leave you to your thoughts on this. Trump backing former judge pleads guilty to human trafficking charges. A Trump supporting Kentucky man who previously served as a district judge, like Roy Moore, anyone except Roy Moore was all the way on the Supreme Court. A district judge pleaded guilty to a slew of crimes on Friday, including human trafficking. That was yesterday. Tim Nolan, self-proclaimed chair of Trump's 2016 presidential campaign in Campbell County, could face 20 years behind bars that for felony charges, promoting human trafficking of minors, unlawful transaction with minors, 
The 70-year-old former judge was arrested in April and indicted on 28 felony counts and a pair of misdemeanors. As part of a plea agreement, he pleaded guilty to 21 of those charges. He pleaded guilty. This isn't an allegation. This isn't a, a due process is not being done. This isn't we've got to believe him. Why don't we believe him? All the women are horrible liars. Uh, or like Roy Moore, his accusers were all lying. They faked the autographs. They didn't wait at the mall where he was stalking. They weren't at the courthouse at their own custody hearings when he came up on them. He pleaded guilty. That means he's guilty, like Mike Flynn is guilty, right? Do you follow me on this? This whole, there's no collusion, it's all a witch hunt. This is not a witch hunt. Guilty. He faces um, a $110,000 fine, and they're going to donate it to the Human Trafficking Victims Fund, which was established in Kentucky in 2013. It rattled his small Kentucky community where he worked as a judge till 85, an outspoken member of the Tea Party and enthusiastic Trump backer. Until his arrest, no one bothered to question his role as chairman of the local arm of the campaign. In wake of the news, officials have denied he ever officially held the prominent position. Phyllis Sparks said he served as the state coalition, previously told the Inquirer he was nothing more than an enthusiastic volunteer. Uh He noted the suit the Trump campaign opted not to drop him after being assured he was not a racist. The former judge sued the managers of a website that posted a photo that they said featured Nolan in a a Ku Klux Klan outfit. Nolan said the man in the image was actually a friend. So he wasn't in the Klan outfit. They erroneously posted a picture of one of his friends who's in the Klan. Um, Oh, God. His daughter worked as a county clerk, blah, blah, blah. This is the kind of people we're talking about here. This all happened this week, by the way. All four of these men. A woman also resigned, Rachel Brown at the Department of Justice. She serves behind Rod Rosenstein. She's number three at the Department of Justice. This does not bode well. This is part of the breakdown because the Russia thing, as he calls it, the witch hunt, as he calls it, um, is rattling him real hard. He's not even, as we speak, on this Saturday while we're sitting here drinking white privileges at the Porpoise of Fruititude at the golf course. He's actually at the White House tweeting and eating Campbell's soup out of a jar. He's eating those Gina pizza rolls. Gina's pizza rolls, but he hasn't heated them up. He's eating them frozen. Those always had the weirdest fillings. What is the texture of a Gina's pizza roll? It's the same texture as Orange 45 Soul. When, he, when, when they opened him up, who, what historian was it? Sallust? Oh, no, no. Who was the first man in Rome who, tried to, who killed Marius? Sulla. Um, historian said when Sulla died, he was so pestilent inside that he opened up and bugs came out of him and that's how I always feel what's going to happen with Orange 45 you saw this week when he was walking up the staircase to Air Force Uno and the wind caught the back of his hair and all of a sudden he was the emperor from uh, Star Wars or, or, or he was rather Darth Vader when they're putting the helmet down in the weird scene where it goes and you see the back of his head and it looks like a crenellated egg and stuff. There was nothing but scar tissue and regret on the back of that head. And that weird, weird, weird Uncle Creepy hair from Tales from the Crypt. Um, it is so gross. Nancy Pelosi is 77 years old. And as someone pointed out, she's a rich white lady who could be drinking drinks in the Caribbean. But she isn't. She was on her feet all day. Um, uh, on the floor of the House of Representatives in four-inch heels, getting down to protect dreamers. Um, let's see here. This is from the USA Today, which, as you know, 
absolutely one of the most liberal biased papers in all of America. Uh, House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi delivers epic speech for hours Wednesday, calling for a vote on legislation to protect DACA recipients. House Minority, by the way, Orange 45 tweeted today that the Democrats didn't want um, DACA, and he got the date wrong on when it was started. He got every... There's 16 different things he got wrong. If you look up his tweets today, look up Daniel Dale, who wrote for the Toronto Star. He breaks it down pretty hard. Um, the tweeting is so random now that we might as well be playing pachinko with the Oval Office. It's just balls flying into space. And they're not big balls. And they're not pretty balls. They're tiny little nads that look like shriveled. When you find a raspberry at the bottom of the box of when you've been eating King Vitaman and it's raspberry flavored and there's one of those weird marshmallows at the bottom, that's what it looks like. And it's not pretty. And it won't, it's not, it won't take long. The California Democrat spoke for more than eight hours. She's 77 years old. She didn't relinquish the floor. And if you saw a picture of her pumps, one, they're sexy, but two, um, they're tall. I'm going to read you the line because this is what USA Today wrote. The California Democrat spoke for more than eight hours before yielding the floor. It was the longest continuous speech since at least 1909. And she did it all while wearing four-inch heels. Pelosi got news of her new record while continuing to tell stories of dreamers, undocumented immigrants who were brought to the United States when they were children. Her all-day remarks are aimed at protesting a budget deal that doesn't include protections for the group. By the way, I'd like to point out that um, Orange 45's mother and Orange 45's wife were both undocumented immigrants. The Ohio Supreme Court upholds a state order to shut down the Toledo abortion clinic. If you didn't think enough was happening in the world, um, they voted, let's see here, five to two to overturn a lower court ruling that said the state restrictions on abortion clinics were unconstitutional, but they did not rule on the constitutionality of the law. They're doing everything they can um, to keep women. Let's see here. Let me read you in a dissenting opinion. This is one of the judges who dissented. Um, she wrote that the agreements are limited in speculative benefits. There is ample evidence the law will cause Northwestern Ohio's only remaining abortion clinic to close. This is Judge O'Connor. Toledo will be left without an abortion clinic, forcing women from Northwestern Ohio to travel to clinics in Cleveland or Columbus to obtain an abortion in a clinic. There's no burden that isn't put on women that's not um, strenuous enough for this group. They'll make any any health issue for women is huge a burden as humanly possible. Do you think if Mr. Sorensen or Mr. Porter or Judge Nolan had to travel to get their Cialis over the state line or for several hours that there would be a hue and cry of any kind? Uh, that's how I'm going to put it because I want to give you that crap analogy. Uh, let's see here. The the NARAL pro-choice Ohio executive director, Kelly Copeland, said the decision abandons 45 years of case law in favor of Governor John Kasich's anti-abortion agenda. And by the way, if you think John Kasich is a smart Republican, he's smarter than some. If you think he's going to be different than them, he ain't. He's as misogynist as them. This is what Ms. Copeland said. It does quite the opposite. Um, a decision pushes abortion out of reach and punishes women for their decision to end a pregnancy. Today's politically motivated decision is devastating to women who can't afford to leave town, who can't find childcare for an extended time, or can't pay for the increased costs that come with the delayed care. Well, maybe some of them will take that extra dollar fifty they're getting a week from Paul Ryan and put it toward the gas, because that'll buy you a third of a gallon, and then you can head your way out there. Uh, I'm not going to hit this one too hard because you know what's going on, but I wanted to skim over it ever so briefly. Mm. Uh, let's see here. 
Here's the headline. Russian Russians penetrated U.S. voter systems. Top U.S. official says the U.S. official in charge of protecting American elections from hacking says the Russians successfully penetrated the voter registration rolls of several U.S. states prior to the 2016 presidential elections. Well, I'm not making it up. And it's true. And I'll read who it was, just so you know. This is NBC News. Jeanette Manfra, the head of cybersecurity of the Department of Homeland Security, said she couldn't talk about classified information. But, quote, we saw a targeting of 21 states and an exceptionally small number of them were actually successfully penetrated. Jed Johnson, you may remember this from an earlier interview that I read on the show that Jennifer gave me, was Department of Homeland Secretary during the Russian intrusion, said 2016 was a wake-up call and it's incumbent upon states and the feds to do something about it before our democracy is attacked again. Um, Department of Homeland Security, cybersecurity had no doubt the Russians penetrated Russian um, voters registration systems. Rex Tillerson, you may know him as the grumpy former head of Exxon who wanders the halls of the State Department all alone calling out for pudding cup in the night. He's the one who said this this week, and I'm quoting again from the AP, Russia already were at work meddling in 2018 midterms. This is in the middle of a government that will do nothing to sanction them and will not address this issue at the same time as firing the number three. And by the way, she didn't quit. She was forced out. We'll see. We'll see if by the time I say this on Monday, if I'm not right out of the Department of Justice, because they're getting ready to enact a coup over there because Mueller is getting real, real, real close. Uh uh, this was sent to me by several people, and I thank you for sending it to me. My Twitter feed is at Greg Proops, and Jennifer gave me this article as well. The Southern Poverty Law Center, you should subscribe to on their email because they'll send you interesting things every day um, about what goes on in this country with hate crimes and bigotry. A new report um, it says that, uh, uh, let's see here. Oh, God, I hate to even read this bloody headline tallied up the deaths in 2017 that were a result of alleged killers influenced by the alt-right. And the alt-right's in quotes. Alt-right means white supremacist groups. And as someone pointed out on Twitter this week, um, Orange 45 wants a parade and they ran a picture of all the guys with their khaki pants and tiki torches and wrote, Trump had his parade. The Southern Poverty Law Center found nine alleged perpetrators connected with extremist ideology killed 17 and injured 43 people in 2017. They're not called terrorists and they're not hunted down the way that um, uh, immigrants in this country who legally have been here for 40 years are. Um, it, aren't those numbers a little shocking to all y'all? Um, they're also, the average age is 25. They recruit them off the interweb. Um, they're radicalized uh, by their white supremacist groups they're in. And um, they've killed 17 and injured 43 people in 2017. That's a shocking state of affairs. Um, the Southern Poverty Law Center is the website you can go to. You can also give to them. They help fight hate crimes. Uh, we've had enough of that one. Here's some happy news. Um, this is from a newspaper called The Indigenous American. And uh, here's the headline. Meet the anti-Trump candidate running to become the United States' first Native American governor. Um, Idaho is a state that's pretty solid red. But like everywhere else, I think we're seeing... Uh, the backlash of um, this unbelievable um, abuse of women and harassment of women, the Me Too movement and the Time's Up movement, uh, all combining uh, for women to take back the night and crunch their Doritos as loud as they will, uh, any kind of chip, actually. Uh, and uh, the fact that every move that Orange 45 is making is decreasing his popularity with the population at large, despite what you would read in the New York Times, despite what you would see on telly, um, his population is winnowing down to a very hardcore here, which means a brutal, brutal awakening for the Republican Party. Um, we've seen it already happen. Uh, I, I, do I have to bring up Danica Rame to you again? I don't think I do. 
In a year when the rights of indigenous people have been under assault, you may remember, uh, what's it called? The, some, the ears. I'm sure it'll come into this, uh, uh, in Utah, the giant uh, rule, uh, the, the EPA basically exists so that um, oil companies can drill now. In a year when the rights of indigenous people have been under assault, from Standing Rock to the president's Twitter feed, uh, Paulette Jordan is a 37-year-old Idaho state representative and member of the Coeur d'Alene tribe. She's running as a progressive Democrat to try to become the governor. And this is what she said. We have this president who decides to open up monument sites for oil and gas extractions to basically ravage the land in every way possible for the benefits of the corporations. Now that to me is not only a lawful gobo, it's back to being a detriment to the people. Her political leanings are to the left of traditional Idaho candidate. She does hold several positions that are not typical of progressive candidates nationwide. Now everybody hang on and don't get your pearls in a wad. You have to remember she's from Idaho, you guys. Uh, she is personally pro-life, stand by, but supports a woman's right to choose. That can happen. Uh, so in other words, she does not want to abolish abortion, but is personally pro-life. I refuse to um, use the term pro-life. Let's go back and call it anti-choice, what it is. And let's go back to her. Our president lacks humanity. He lacks respect. He lacks honor. For him to disrespect, you may remember this incident, which was only a month and a half ago. He offended multiple tribe leaders by referring to Senator Elizabeth Warren as Pocahontas at a ceremony honoring, honoring the Navajo Code Talkers. Imagine how that went down uh, in the Indian community. For him to disrespect World War II veterans and to be the only president to have done so in the White House is disrespectful of the White House. For him to bring in a U.S. senator, as he does, and try to slight the indigenous people of this land who've stood up for freedom in this land for generations, I think that's the travesty. And I think that's what people should be thinking about. Uh, I just wanted to lay that on you because I thought it was kind of interesting. Her name is Paulette Jordan. Uh, a Democratic governor of Idaho would really rock the house. Speaking of Democrats, Jackson, Mississippi, make decriminalized pot possession of 30 grams or less. Jennifer asked me, how much is 30 grams? And I just happen to casually know that it's slightly over an ounce. Does that make me a bad person? Uh, let's see here. Ward 4 Councilman uh, DeKeither Stamps. Yeah, his name's DeKeither Stamps. Uh, proposed a change to Jackson's ordinances at a January 30 council, city council meeting that would decriminalize. What would that do? Um, people with uh, more than 30 grams or, or less than 30 grams would be fined no more than 100 would not be sent to pr prison. Prescription marijuana would not be subject. Um, we're introducing this to decriminalize the user level amounts of marijuana because for far too long we made a practice of turning users into criminals. Would you like to know who most of those people are? Uh, Let's see here. A pipeline that begins with low-level arrests for possession, for instance, and sends people into a life of crime, gangs, and prison. An American Civil Liberties Union study on racial disparities of criminalizing marijuana showed that blacks and whites use marijuana equally. Blacks are 3.73 times as likely to be arrested for marijuana possession. Enforcing marijuana laws costs $3.6 billion annually. I wonder how much income is derived by the states that have now made it recreational. Uh, I'm a little high right now. I wonder how much income is derived from the states that make it recreational. I think I made my point. Uh, we are all around and all up in your love. The Who's Line gang is back out on the road, and we're going to be in Vancouver, well, British Columbia, 
outside of Vancouver. We're going to be in Richmond and uh, Coquitlam uh, on February 22nd and 23rd and 24th. Uh, you can go to Who's Live anyway. We're going to be at the Hard Rock for two nights and then the River Rock. Uh, you may know the River Rock Casino from such stories as they have a 24-hour beef chow fun stand, which is where you will find me after the show is over. I will walk through the slot machines to go and get beef chow fun. And it's one of those places where they think it's fun to give you the Shake Shack style. So they hand you a weird beeper and you go back and you sit at your seat and then you're sitting there minding your own business. Maybe you're high. Maybe you've had a drink. Maybe you're just distracted. Maybe you're looking at your phone. And all of a sudden the buzzer goes off like your doctor's called you for an epileptic fucking meeting and those things. And you leap from your seat and then you're like, oh my God, it's just the chow fun buzzer. Get going. So then I go back and I get my chow fun. Um, the, listening to people cough is always fun in a casino it's one of the rare pieces of fun you can have in a casino uh, in any case we'll be there and then you can join us on the road uh, on Who's Live anyway we're out on the road for um, oh gee whiz uh, we're out in Cincy and uh, um, Toledo where it's hard to get an abortion in March um, we're also uh, in Dallas, Texas uh, the south whatnot. then back out in April oh golly since we're on the subject um, I received a, a missive from our road manager, Morgan Grebet. Uh We're out, uh, we're in March in Sacramento, Monterey, uh, in April, uh, in Washington, Utah, Idaho, Chicago, um, Cincy, Cleveland, uh, and then in May, uh, St. Louis, Kansas City, Missouri, Atlanta, August, Raleigh, oh gee whiz, Charlotte, Dallas, uh, then in Bellingham for some reason. And then uh, in uh, November, Calgary, Edmonton, Buffalo, Rochester, Ithaca, Northampton, Boston, Medford, St. Paul. We're getting around town. Uh, and then we're also going out in October. So join us then. It's Who's Live Anyway with Ryan Stiles. He's the tall one. He's inconceivably funny. Uh, Jeff Davis, he's the one who's sponging off the rest of us. And then there's Joel Murray, um, who may not be at that first gig at the Hard Rock. I don't know if I'm talking out of school here. Because I believe he booked a gig on uh, Grey's Anatomy uh, it's pretty exciting. So uh, I'll be out on the road, by the way. Uh, the 18th, uh, Ryan, you'll be there at Bar Lubitsch, right? We'll be, uh, Ryan will be at Bar Lubitsch drinking Buffalo Grass Vodka. And we won't be drinking um, White and Privilege. We switch over. He drinks Buffalo Grass. I drink uh, uh, regular, not unleaded. Uh, and Jennifer will have a vodka tonic, usually maybe a glass. Do you have wine there ever? No. No, it's not very good. But they have great vodka. Come, it's free. Uh, we're in the back room. It's at Bar Lubitsch. You'll recognize us. Um, come through the front. Uh, the gates are locked. It's about 7.30. They open up the gates. Um, you can smoke in the patio up front. Probably smoke pot too. I do, but you're probably not supposed to. And uh, then come. it's recreational in California. It's not legal. Jennifer always looks at me like, a, uh, you know what? It's not against the law anymore. Maybe it's against a lot of smoke it in certain places. So really the worst they could do is go, could you move? And then I would walk out in front of the Voda Spa on Santa Monica Boulevard, which is where I'll be. Uh, and then the film club, the Greg Proust Film Club, is showing uh, Jennifer's Chisholm, the next two films, and they're excellent. Gun Crazy uh, with uh, John Dahl and um, Peggy Cummins as Annie Laurie. And it is a riot of romantic um, crime spree couple in the 1950 in some of the sexiest, sexiest um, cowboy clothes and sports clothes you'll ever see. Then the 28th, we'll be at the Throckmorton Theater in Mill Valley uh, doing our podcast there. That's where Mort Saul holds court every week. Then on the second... Or first, I can't remember. We'll be at New George's. Uh, I'll have you more details about that. We're doing a benefit. I'll be doing stand-up that night for an old buddy of mine named Mike Pritchard, who you might remember if you're a Bay Area person. Uh, Mike Pritchard is so cool that when Pope John Paul II played Candlestick Park, Mike Pritchard opened for him. He was famous for that. A comedian in San Francisco opened for the Pope. Any Catholics in the crowd here today? 
Get them up. Get both of them up. Am I, am I right or am I? Uh, that'll be uh, in uh, March. Then March 12th, we'll be at the Crocodile in Seattle, as I told you. Um, we've canceled the Oregon gig. Instead, we'll be in Lafayette and all those dates with Who's Live. Um, we'll be at the Crocodile in Seattle. And then we're going to be at the American Comedy Company, which I have written here as the Great American Comedy Company, the 22nd in Santa Grated, uh, California. It's a cute little place. It's in the Old Town Sack. Um, just excellent Mexican food. No baseball yet because the Padres won't be on, but they play quite close to there. Old Town's a mixed bag. I think it's called the Gaslight District or something like that. Is that what it is? It's fun. It's fun. A lot of drunks. You ever go down there? San Diego. San Diego. Sand degraded. Did you say Sacramento? No. Earlier? No. Yeah, well, we'll be playing Sacramento. I might have said Sacramento. I said Stockton earlier in case anyone's confused. Let me orient you right now. Uh, and then um, the 22nd, we'll be there for the, uh, the podcast, the podcast in San Diego. And then, uh, like that, uh, we'll be there all weekend doing stand-up as well. And buy a lot of tickets for the Friday night show because I think they're going to add one uh, if we sell out. We'll be in Philadelphia at the Helium, um, the 29th through the 31st. Uh, the 29th will be the podcast, uh, and we'll have Prudelphia Freedom. We'll be celebrating all of our Eagles fans, friends, and congratulations on your uh, Super Bowl victory. Although, of course, Johnny Harshmymel tweeted right after I said something about the Eagles winning, like, you don't think their owners are fascists, and you don't think Tolls is a born-again Christian? Yum, yum, yum. Could I have a minute? Could I have one minute of corporate fun in my goddamn life? You've had enough corporate fun, Greg. Nose to the grindstone. Then we're going to Halifax, to the Halifax Comedy Festival, uh, the 25th to the 28th in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Uh, you'll notice me. I'll be the one with butter all over my mouth. That'll be the 25th uh, at the Car- Carlton Bar, I think it is. And then moving on from there, that's too far ahead. I can't even think about it, man. What are you going to do? I don't know. Way headed. I don't know. Wherever the road takes me, man. Um, I need you. Uh, to join up and do your homework. It's Black History Month. Um, Educate yourself against the coming conflict. I also need you to um, uh, do your homework and um, run for office. She should run is where you should go. Emily's list is where you should go. If you're a young person, run for something is where you should go. House.gov and Senate.gov. Never, ever, 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 ever stop calling and emailing these yokels and let them know that you don't think this is cool. We don't want a Russian-run government uh, run by a megalomaniac. person of huge ego, an egoist who wants a parade for themselves. This military parade jazz and all this tweeting and stuff, this is the barking of a rabid syphilitic dog as it makes its way to the barn before it's about to have the water boiled before they shank it. And Robert Mueller is the one that is going to take old old orange down here because uh, this is going to end the same way old Yeller did, except that the difference was old Yeller was useful and everyone loved him. Uh, you have been the smartest man in the world. I have been the smartest crowd in the world. We're here from the Porpoise of Fruititude. We'll see you at Bar Lubitsch, uh on the 18th. Everyone says goodbye. Say goodbye, everybody. And by the way, don't believe everything Quincy Jones tell you. Just believe everything he recorded. 